WebAssembly is a runtime that lets languages beyond JavaScript execute in front-end web applications. WebAssembly is novel because most modern front-end applications are written entirely in JavaScript. WebAssembly lets us use languages like Rust and C++ after they have been compiled down to a WebAssembly binary module. Of course, language interoperability is only one part of why WebAssembly is exciting. The execution environment for WebAssembly modules has benefits for security and software distribution and consumption as well. In previous shows, we've given an overview of WebAssembly and explored its future applications, as well as its relationship to the Rust programming language. In today's episode, we explore the packaging and execution path of a WebAssembly module, and some other applications of the technology as well. Cyrus Ackberry is the CEO and founder of Wasmer, a company focused on creating universal binaries powered by WebAssembly. Wasmer provides a way to execute WebAssembly files universally. Cyrus joins the show to talk about the state of WebAssembly and what his company is building. Before we get started, I want to mention that there's a new product I'm building. It's called Find Collabs, and we are having a hackathon for Find Collabs. You can go to findcollabs.com and findcollabs.com slash hackathon to find out more. Find Collabs is a platform for internet collaboration, and it's built for people like you, the Software Engineering Daily listener. So I really hope you'll have a chance to check it out. And with that, let's get on with this episode of Software Engineering Daily. Cyrus Akbari, you are the founder of Wasmer. Thanks for coming on Software Engineering Daily. Thank you for inviting me. I'm like super excited to talk today. Most of our web experiences today are powered by JavaScript. What are the types of applications where JavaScript does not perform well? So basically, especially like when uh, browsers are trying to render certain kind of games or or um, certain kind of operations where like the, actually the JIT of the browser is able to perform but not like very well. I would say like the cases are like games for browsers and some other paths where like actually like the JIT cannot optimize as much as you can actually like with native application. JavaScript has a dynamic type system. It has garbage collection. Why did these features of JavaScript result in performance issues? So in general, I think optimizing JavaScript is a little bit hard. Basically, like browsers have been like trying to optimize as maximum the JavaScript performance over like the last few years, and they have been doing like a very very great job. But at the end, just because of the fact that like first JavaScript is not typed, and second because like the JIT have to guess what is the types that of the variables that we are using, like this adds a lot of overhead that at the end is very hard to optimize to the max because like you have to assure always kind of like backwards compatibility or like some other things that have to work always with JavaScript. And sometimes like it's very hard to make a shortcut there while in native where everything is kind of like typed, it's much easier to do this kind of optimizations. We've covered the differences between JavaScript and WebAssembly in some details in past episodes, but I wanted to start with just some discussion of JavaScript and and WebAssembly. Can you give a little bit of history as to how the WebAssembly project got started and what its relationship is to JavaScript? So first, it got started uh, by ASM.js, which was a very interesting project that actually was, was trying to do is compiling or, or transforming LLVM IR 
to JavaScript, what LLVM IR is, is basically like when we have a, a native project, let's say like uh, made in C or C++, uh, rather than like compiling it directly to machine code, what happens is uh, this kind of like C or C++ project gets transformed into a level LLVM uh, intermediate represent- re- representation. And then from there, it actually like got ported to move to real machine code. So it actually, what it helps is kind of like add an abstraction on top of the chipset. So basically like ASM.js, what, how it started is by kind of like transforming this LLVM IR to JavaScript. It was doing in a way that actually like it add fake types to JavaScript. So basically it was indicating like, oh, this variable is an integer or this variable is like binary or like it was having types on, on top of JavaScript. Basically it got kind of like some uh, inertia from Firefox, especially at the beginning that was adding a special handling for these kind of types to optimize it much more. So it started with this ASM.js project, which actually like eventually uh, become like what WebAssembly is today. But with the main difference that like ASM.js was a subset of JavaScript, a typed subset of JavaScript. Basically, like WebAssembly was rethinking of this model that rather than like being on top of JavaScript, that like the browser have to parse. It was actually like a bytecode that was much more performant to to read for for the browser. WebAssembly has these applications in the browser, but it also has other applications. And before we dive into the technical details of WebAssembly, let's discuss some of the impact that WebAssembly might have at a high level. If we were to fast forward five years into the future, how will WebAssembly have changed our online experience? So I think it will change a lot of things from online right now, the kind of applications we are seeing on the web are basically like made with HTML layout, which at the end like it's, it's great, but sometimes it's hard to like think that we will be able to run like Microsoft Office, for example, natively on the browser or with exactly the same experience of the native application or even like running super performant games on, on the browser. So um, I think like from five years to now, like we'll start seeing like a lot of uh, more rich applications on the web and actually like not just in the web. So one of the sides of WebAssembly is like, I think it will improve greatly the way we experience web in the future. Just basically like trying to bring the quality of native applications or the speed of native applications back to the browser. But I think of the browser as just one site that is taking advantage of WebAssembly. There are a few others that I'm like super also super excited about. What does WebAssembly enable for quote unquote edge computing? Basically, like with WebAssembly first, what you have is a very nice abstraction that like lets you kind of like not worry about like what is the chipset where like your application is going to be run. These actually like have a lot of advantages for edge computing. The main one is basically like you have a binary or like a bytecode that can be actually executed like anywhere in any platform. Second, like because of the way WebAssembly is designed, we have like first a memory isolation from each of the process. So in general, like WebAssembly instance that uh, cannot jump out of their memory. So that's one very important aspect of WebAssembly. Like the other like very important aspect is like basically like we can run this code or this bytecode almost or as close as possible to, to native speed. 
So um, with, when you mix these two things, you start seeing that like we can actually right now stop like using services or programs like Docker that provides all this memory isolation, and we can just jump directly to execute this native code at native speed, but with all the advantages of memory isolation for each pro- uh, for each process. Could you explore those differences between packaging our programs in Docker containers versus packaging our programs in WebAssembly in a little more detail? Yes. Actually, like this part is something that we are very excited about in, in the company that I'm working. So basically, right now, the way we deploy services or we, we deploy our applications to the cloud is in general like using Docker which basically how it works is we have like a base operating system that could be like Ubuntu or could be like an Alpine distribution. Basically like on top of this operating system, we add our applications. And Docker basically provides a container that in general like can be like 400 megabytes, 500, like few gigabytes, or if you are using Alpine, will be like much lighter. But in general, like we always have to ship kind of like the operating system that like the application is going to use. And then we ship the application as well with, with this operating system. So with Docker, we will end kind of like having containers uh, that again are kind of like very big because like we include all the operating system there, right? However, with WebAssembly, that's not really necessary. Just kind of like because of the ways uh, WebAssembly is, is architected, we don't need to have a to be emulating our operating system on top of WebAssembly to provide this memory isolation safetyness. So basically, like I'm gonna give you like a, a very good example. Right now, for example, if you are using uh, Docker and and you have like a website which receives like let's say 20 visits a month, right? So um, you will need to run a Docker container or an instance of, of a Docker container kind of like for a whole month, just being there, like listening to like any any request that gets on for that server on, on that port, even if, if this server just receives like 20 requests per month. So that means like you will end like paying for a full month and that's, that's again like not super optimal. In the case of WebAssembly, for example, what we can do is rather than, than having an instant that, instance that is running constantly, we can have a container that rather than being like 400 megabytes is maybe like four megabytes that can actually like be spin up and spin down like in a very fast way. So basically right now with Docker, this startup time in general is like one second. Again, container size might be like few hundred megabytes. So with that, like with this current solution, it's very hard to think of functions as a service. And there are like few few hacks that are trying to kind of like make it work with like hot paths for Docker and so on. But in general, like there is not a very good solution to do it with Docker just because Docker is not the ideal technology for that. However, with WebAssembly, what we can start seeing is applications that are contained in like a four, me- uh, four megabytes binary. And at the same time that have like a startup time of few milliseconds. So what this enables is on-premise computing. That means kind of like spinning up and spinning down instances as we need it. So rather than having an instance that is running for a whole month, just like for 20 requests, uh, for serving 20 requests, with WebAssembly, what we can do is just spin up this server as we need it. So basically, it will maybe eventually charge just like 20 seconds or something like that. And this is actually something much more performant and that use, best, use much better the resources that we have. 
you're describing a use case for WebAssembly for powering functions as a service. The current model, as it's commonly understood at least, is that if if I want to run a function, a quote function as a service or AWS Lambda function or Google Cloud function, is I write my code for the function, I deploy it to the cloud provider, and when I want to trigger that function, the function gets spun up in a container on the fly, and then it gets executed, and then maybe it gets spun down You know, after some period of time. And you're suggesting that rather than deploying that function to a container, we could just bundle it into a WebAssembly binary and have it execute that way. Do I understand correctly? Yeah, that's completely right. So just to reiterate, what would be the benefits of having our, our function execute in a WebAssembly binary versus a container? First, like it will be like much faster. Second, like WebAssembly already provides like a memory memory isolation, so like we'll not need to worry about that. And third, uh, part of like being faster or like being kind of like as close as native performance as possible is that we will be able to reproduce the like super easily locally as well. So in general, like Right now, all the solutions that, for example, like Google uh, Cloud or in general, like I will say more Amazon Lambda, which is like what is um, closer to like the WebAssembly model, is just kind of like useful or it's only available on like Amazon Web Services. And what we are trying to do is like have something open or provide something open that everyone can use, not only like in Amazon Web Service, but like almost in any, any other server. So... So in general, like by uh, leveraging on, on WebAssembly, we can start providing new tools that like uh, until now was like very hard or, or, or basically like was using the tools that were not ideal for that scenarios. Let's come back to this question of WebAssembly in the cloud. Uh, I want to talk a little bit more about the basic WebAssembly tool chain or the different tool chains that are out there. Um, because WebAssembly is is, is uh, commonly known as this browser, uh, this this thing that you might run in the browser to have modules that you might want to run faster than you would run a JavaScript script or or module. Let's talk about that. So if I have a WebAssembly module that I want to run in the browser, maybe it's going to power my game or render something. What's the interaction between my JavaScript code and my WebAssembly module? So basically, like uh, first, what do you do is in general when you are trying to create this WebAssembly module, you either like do it uh, do it in a, in a static language like C or or Rust. Then like basically like you will compile it from Rust or C to WebAssembly. For example, uh, WebAssembly supporting Rust is like very well prepared. In C, like you will in general need to use MScripting. But let's say you have like this WebAssembly binary that like executes that function in a much more performant way. Then like what you will do is um, kind of like from Web WebAssembly add kind of like a binding to use it in JavaScript. In general, this binding, if you are using MScripting, will be already provided for you. If you are using Rust, for example, there is a library called WasmBingen that will, again, provide this very easy way to use WebAssembly from JavaScript like in an easy way. And the reason for doing that is, for example, sometimes your function will accept the strings. But in WebAssembly, in the specifications itself, there are no strings. So basically, like what you need to do is kind of like transform from this kind of like JavaScript uh, string into like into bytes that WebAssembly can understand. So in general, like for this binding, there are like a lot of tools that like provide us the, the help. 
So when we want to use this function from JavaScript, what we will do is create a WebAssembly instance. And this WebAssembly instance will have like 13 functions exported from the WebAssembly module itself. And let's say like we create a function in WebAssembly, which is just like for adding two numbers. So we will call this function like sum. And this sum function receives two parameters, which are like two integers. So from JavaScript, we will create a WebAssembly instance. Uh, once we have that instance, we will say like, we will try to call the sum function in this instance. And basically we will retrieve the value. And sometimes in the case of integers, we can just use it directly. In the case of strings, like we will need, or strings or other structures, we will need to like use some kind of like wrapping or transformation from WebAssembly types to JavaScript. And then like we will just like use it in JavaScript as normal. Is that clear enough to, um, to know basically like how JavaScript inter interoperates with JavaScript? Absolutely. Uh, yeah, with WebAssembly, sorry. A absolutely. And now let's describe how we would run WebAssembly in environments other than a JavaScript execution runtime. Yeah. So um, basically until now, like what we have been seeing is WebAssembly is mainly like shaped on browsers. And this is awesome because it provides a way for executing files uh, at native speed or, or programs at native speed and in the browser. And that's something that is super exciting. However, like there are like a lot of other use cases of WebAssembly, especially outside of the browser. So um, one of these use cases is actually like trying to bring WebAssembly server side. So uh, trying to think kind of like the same thing that Node JavaScript did for JavaScript. Actually, in my company Wasmer, we are trying to do something similar, trying to bring WebAssembly to the server side in a way that is actually like very easy to use, and at the same time that is not tied to a JavaScript runtime. So basically the benefits of that is you will not need to run uh, JavaScript runtime. You will not uh, have any overhead from that. And second, you will be able to run like WebAssembly, not just from JavaScript, but also from Python or from Rust or from C or from C++. And when you start kind of like putting all these pieces of the puzzle together, you start seeing that like WebAssembly can become this new standard for for having libraries that are compatible in almost any environment, any language, any platform, any like from desktop to a mobile, from the browser to the server. And basically we will start seeing how like libraries are just kind of like universal and we can create let's say like a library in TypeScript that actually we can use it from Python. And I think that's something super, super attractive. And I can explain to you like why, if you want uh, a little bit after. Well, I think, I mean, I can, I can gather why. Like today, you know, if you want to have, let's say a, a set of tools for doing natural language processing in Python, if you have that set of tools in Python and you're writing an application in Rust, it's not necessarily straightforward to be able to interoperate between you know your your Rust application and that Python NLP application. You're suggesting WebAssembly as a means to allowing that interoperability. Completely, like WebAssembly, basically, like in there, what it will provide is a way to interpret like uh, between languages like very very easily. Right now, again, like actually, the example that you commented is is super um, super accurate because we have been seeing like companies that are kind of like uh, they are Python shops and they are using Rust as well, like for the more critical path of their application. And basically, each time they need to like use this Rust 
code from Python, it's a little bit of a pain and they have to compile it for like the architectures where like this uh, module is going to be run and basically it's super painful. But with WebAssembly, basically like all these problems are kind of like solved. So let's talk about the current state of affairs. Like if I want to have my Rust application access a Python NLP application, there are ways for me to do that. What would I be doing and what would be wrong with that? I mean, right now, if you are actually trying to like run a Python from Rust, you can completely like there are ways you can make it work, but at the end, it's not very easy. Actually, like I will like put it in reverse. If you want to use Rust from Python, again, like it's something that you can completely do. But like first you have to worry about like having the Rust toolchain whenever like you are kind of like using this Rust code, then like you need to make sure like the bridge between like web, uh, between uh, Rust and Python is well done. There are like no memory issues in, in between. And basically like all this process is super painful for the developer. It's, it's basically not ideal. So what we think will be ideal is having like some kind of like universal binary for each of these libraries that we can use not just uh, from Python, but from any other language, and we can interpret easily. So um, you can think into like having, once we like transform this library to WebAssembly, it should be like super easy to use in one or other language without, without actually like caring about like how to do the bridges between these two. Of course, that sounds wonderful to everybody, but one difference between different languages is different languages have different runtimes. Some of those runtimes have managed memory systems with garbage collection. Some of them have self-managed memory, like with C. So let's just take a step back. How is WebAssembly allowing us to have a consistent runtime for these different languages when some of them are garbage collected and some of them are not? So basically, like, first, regarding uh, garbage collection, right now, like, uh, for example, Rust projects, when we ship or when we transform or this or compile these uh, Rust modules to WebAssembly, in general, like, we ship the garbage collector, uh, collection uh, inside of the WebAssembly itself. Apart from that, like, from the WebAssembly specification, there are people working on, like, having garbage collector, collector inside of uh, WebAssembly or bundle into WebAssembly itself. But basically, right now, like, when we compile it, like, the garbage collector will be actually also bundled. So um, the way it will interoperate, at least for now, is each of these languages will have, like, their own garbage collector as of right now, and there will be, like, not a unified way of like collecting garbage for for these different languages actually like one thing that we are researching to wasmer is how we can improve all these strategies to to make it kind of like much easier and, and much more performant to do this inter intercommunication so if i'm shipping a garbage collector in my WebAssembly binary why is that more performant or more convenient than just having my python program run normally and interoperating with my with my other programs i mean the the main advantage that i will that i will say is that like the developer experience when you have to like interpret with other languages right now is not ideal with webassembly like what you do is having like on you basically like ship your library to webassembly it will be like super easy to be used in any other language in a very kind of like easy 
and common way across like any other language. And I will say that's kind of like the main advantage of using WebAssembly there. It's not regarding performance. You will actually like get almost the same performance, even like a little bit worse if you are using WebAssembly, maybe a 5% or a 10% of decrease on performance. But what you will gain is much better developer experience for using these libraries. Like, let me actually put you a, a very kind of like concrete example. So before starting Wasmer, I did work on a GraphQL framework for Python that was actually a port of the JavaScript impl implementation. So basically, like there was the, the main reference implementation of GraphQL, which was made by Facebook. And each time the, the reference implementation was changing in JavaScript, I have to basically backport all the changes into Python. And this process was like super, super, super painful. Why? Because in general, like I don't want to like to embed a JavaScript runtime in my in my Python applications, and almost like no one wants to do that because they have like other implications. So basically, like what I believe or why I actually started Wasmer is because I tried to make a library that will be like universal and could be used not just in JavaScript but also in Python in a way that I don't need to rewrite all these things natively for that language. So what you're saying is the main thing that we're getting out of WebAssembly from this point of view, from this conversation, is developer experience. You are boiling down a large tool chain into a single executable binary, and that binary is a uh, WebAssembly module. Yes, that's completely right. And then like you have a lot of convenience for using it. If you want to even like ship this module to the browser and use it like in very performant way, you could. If you want to run it server side, you could. If you want to run it like let's say you the, you create a module which is like I don't know, just trying to detect the faces from an image and you do it in Rust. So basically what you will do is like you you compile this Rust uh, code to WebAssembly and ideally you will you would be able to use it from Python easily, you will be able to use it from JavaScript easily, or you will be able to use it from Go easily as well. So basically like the goal is to provide like only one bytecode binary that like can be used across any other language very, very easily. And just to revisit the container discussion earlier, you know, containers give us this nice abstraction for working with a complex application that has been bundled into a container. Or if we were looking at it from the Kubernetes point of view, maybe we would say a pod, you know, which, you know, can contain multiple containers and have this this kind of bundling abstraction. Why do we need WebAssembly? Just just to revisit that discussion of the containers. So why we need the WebAssembly first? When you are using containers, the startup time is not like very good. In general, like can be I don't know in the order of seconds or or at least like more than seven hundred milliseconds. So basically, like when you have like this kind of like very long startup time. The ways that you can that you have to figure out how to make it work with on-premise computing, it becomes like super super challenging. So first, regarding uh, Docker versus WebAssembly, Docker the container images include like operating system inside, and the containers itself are like very heavy, both for startup time, for um, container size. With WebAssembly, like both the startup time becomes rather than in the order of seconds becomes on, on the order of milliseconds. And second, the application size decreases from like few hundred megabytes to few megabytes. So at the end, it's much easier to kind of distribute and use. Got it. Now, before we talk about what you're doing at Wasmer, I want to talk about the bundling tool chain and the usage tool chain for Rust. 
because as you discussed earlier, your vision with Wasmer is to make it easy for all kinds of languages to compile down to Wasm and be used with Wasm. But we already have a tool chain for Rust that can be used. Why is the tool chain to Rust so specific? Why isn't that Rust tool chain usable for, for any kind of language? So basically, this tool chain is very adapted into kind of like how Rust is, is made or how Rust works. So the way like this tool chain in specific, I think you're talking about like Wasm Bingen, which is like very, I mean, first, there are like two integrations of like for being able to use WebAssembly in Rust. One is uh, having like a target of WebAssembly into the language. So basically because of uh, Rust in general uses LLVM under the hood, it's very easy to convert from LLVM to WebAssembly. So this is kind of like the first step, how you are, go- how you are generating like the WebAssembly from file from Rust. And this is actually like this how you are generating is kind of like it have to be done like for certain for for each of the the ways that we or each of the languages that you, we use. So for Rust, it's kind of like targeting to WebAssembly is already bundled into the language. For C, we need to use a side project such as MScripten to do it. And right now, like for example, for Go, they are trying to have also a way for com- for converting or for for targeting Go or for targeting WebAssembly in your Go application. So basically you can compile from Go to WebAssembly. And this first step basically have to be like, is very tight, have a very tight integration with the language itself. And you cannot create something that actually will work for everyone a part of the LLVM to WebAssembly transformation. So uh, on, on this first side, basically each language needs to provide a way to target like WebAssembly. And this is kind of like the first step. And then and the second step is like how we can actually make the usage of WebAssembly from this language very easy. So in the case of Rust, basically we have the library Wasm Binchan, which is a great library and it helps us basically like to operate with other structs that are not just integers very easily from the host language that is calling WebAssembly. But in the cases of basically like for Python, we will need to create like other kind of of wrapper on top of WebAssembly to make very easy to inter- interoperate with it. And like basically from each of these languages, you need to do a small transformation from like WebAssembly types to the language types. Uh, also, these transformations are like super tied into the language that we are using. Because sometimes for Python, like if we want to use a big int, the way that like this begin is is implemented in Python is very different than maybe the one that we are using in Rust, or we can be used in other language that targets to to WebAssembly. So if I understand correctly, Rust compiles down to the LLVM intermediate representation, and that intermediate representation can be translated into WebAssembly, and that translation work has been done by different teams that that work on uh, on WebAssembly. But if you wanted to do this with Python, you know, Python doesn't compile down to the LLVM intermediate representation. I think Python compiles down to some different bytecode version and then so so we would have to write, you know, a some kind of translation system to get the Python bytecode into the WebAssembly structures. So, for example, right now, like in Python, just because Python is a very kind of like dynamic language, it's going to be very hard to transform this Python code into WebAssembly or into something that is static. 
uh, in general, like the strategies that people follow there is uh, you actually like port the whole uh, Python runtime or the Python virtual machine into WebAssembly. So basically, like you have a interpreter of Python in WebAssembly, but this interpreter is not like compiled. However, like in the case of Python, there is a project like super curious called Nuitka that this actually like it transforms the Python code into C code. So basically, like it, in general, you can get a, like increase of performance to from five to ten uh, to ten x. And basically, once you have the the this Python co- code converted to C, then just because like the C code is completely static and can be kind of like compiled to WebAssembly easily, then you can have a, a static, a static and very performant Python to WebAssembly kind of like file. But in general, like what people the approaches that people take is just kind of like porting or using the whole interpreter. Okay, well, let's get into your solutions. And in order to get into your solutions, we need to talk about a term called ABI, which is Application Binary Interface. What is an Application Binary Interface? So basically, like, each time we we have a program that, like, or we compile a program, this program, in general, like, is trying to open files in your file system or open sockets or things like that. So basically, each time we compile a C file, this C file, the way it operates with the host system, let's say like with your operating system, is through a set of API calls between kind of like your application and the operating system. So until now, there there has been an interface, especially for Unix, that is like, or ABI, an interface that is very used called POSIX ABI. And this POSIX ABI, you can think of a set of, or a set of APIs or function calls that basically allow us to interoperate with the operating system in the sense of we want to open a file or we want to open a socket or we want to delete a file. So basically, like this set of API calls is called a ABI. And it's called a ABI because we don't ship this logic into the application itself. We just kind of assure the bindings are going to be there when we call the application. So this application says like, oh, I want to open a file, and this open a file is just a link to the open file function, for example, in your operating system. And this set of API calls for interoperating with uh, your operating system or with another binary application is called ABI. There's also a term called uh, POSIX, P-O-S-I-X. People listening have probably seen this term, but they may not know what it means. What is POSIX? So POSIX is basically the, interf- the interface that is like, commonly used for interacting with your operating system in Unix-like environments. And it's basically like it's very commonly used basically like from people that are, are, using, are using Mac Mac OS or people that are using Ubuntu, basically like all the applications that are are compiled to Unix-like systems, they are shipping with a POSIX ABI. So that's basically that's the reason in general like this this um, binary applications cannot be used in Windows, for example, because Windows in general doesn't. You have to do other tricks to, to make them work there, basically. And the ABI will be making calls over the POSIX interface to make, is it, is it a syscall, syscalls on the computer? <laughs> yes. Yeah, so basically, like, like POSIX itself is an API. 
So it's just a set of like functions that we can call from our binary application. And this is of, see, uh, this set of functions are syscalls that, that in general like interact with our operating system and let us like open files or do whatever things that we need in the low level stuff. What kinds of applications need to make syscalls? Is it every application? In general, like for example, if you have like an application that is trying to like, I don't know, open an image and render it, in general, like you will need a way to open this file and read its contents. So for example, for that, like you will need to interact with the read syscall. So this is basically every application. If I have a text editor, the text editor needs to open files, it needs to save files. And so if I have Slack, then certainly I'm opening files, I'm opening images, I'm interacting with the network, and all of these things are going to require syscalls. In the, in the case of Slack, like for example, Slack ships like an electron-like application. So Slack is running kind of like Chromium under the hood. So basically like some of these syscalls some, sometimes are kind of like are being used not really, but in other kind of wrapper. So sometimes like through JavaScript or through other interfaces. But yeah, each time like we are opening a file or, or accessing to the network or opening a port for, for a server, like we are interacting with a syscall, a syscall under the hood. How does a WebAssembly module make syscalls? So basically right now there is not a universal way of doing. So there is one uh, project, like basically the first project that like was actually being able to generate first JavaScript files, ASM JavaScript files from LLVM and second to generate like uh, WebAssembly files. This project called MScripten ship with POSIX ABI and it make it kind of like available in the browser. So basically it defines a set of syscalls that are gonna be available. Let's say read a file or, or open a file or close a file or um, open in a socket. So basically like MScript and define all this set of ABI calls that are gonna be available and make basically like a POSIX kind of like ABI for WebAssembly. However, like this is kind of like just for projects or that we have that are compiled to WebAssembly using MScripten. However, for example, when you use Rust and you want to open a file, there is no standard way of you doing it. Basically, like when you compile like this Rust file to WebAssembly, there is no kind of like a set of ABA calls that will be automatically provided. So first, uh, with MScripten, there was kind of like a set of ABA calls just imitating the POSIX ABI for interacting with the operating system. But this MScripten approach was kind of like only available for C and C++ projects and for other projects that are tar targeting like WebAssembly. There is no a defined set of ABI calls that like basically like they use. So like what I think will happen ideally is, is uh, all kind of like companies and all the different languages targeting all the same ABI. That means like when you compile a Rust file to WebAssembly or when you compile a Go file to WebAssembly or when you compile a C or C++ file to WebAssembly, these ABI calls are remain consistent between all these three different WebAssembly files. That means the way for reading a file is exactly the same, have, is a function that receives the same, the same arguments and outputs the same, the same return type. The opening a socket is exactly is also a function that is consistent across kind of like all these different languages rather than like Go creating their own a set of ABI calls or Rust creating their own set for ABI calls for opening a file or, or opening a socket. 
So basically, like one thing that needs to happen is uh, standardize the way the ABI calls are, are built for WebAssembly. And the interesting thing is actually building this set of, of ABI calls in a way that actually like can make our WebAssembly files work in a lot of different scenarios. So one is kind of like, oh, running in the browser. The other might be running in the server. The other might be like running in forms. Like basically, like there are a lot of use cases that like will be ideal to define like a standard ABI for WebAssembly. If you want to like dig deeper into like how MScripting does it is when we have a C or C++ project that compiles to WebAssembly, we compile, uh, we basically generate this WebAssembly bytecode. And this WebAssembly bytecode interoperates with the host like through a certain set of syscalls. So in the case of MScripten, they emulated the POSIX ABI in JavaScript itself. So when you try to open a file, they just fake it. They create like a fake wrapper in JavaScript that like tries to emulate the same API or the same responses, which is like super funny. So for example, when you in MScripten, when you have a C and C++ project compiled to, to WebAssembly using MScripten and this project for whatever reason is opening a socket in your computer or is trying to read from a socket. In the case of MScripten, the wrapper that they created is using uh, rather than sockets, is using web sockets under the hood. So basically it created or it emulated all this set of ABI calls in JavaScript in a way that plays nicely or, or the WebAssembly file receives what it expected to receive for when it calls these syscalls. So your vision for making WebAssembly modules interoperable involves this application binary interface. Is that in contrast to the tool chain that has been built with Rust? Is it, are these disjoint strategies or do we need both of these things? So um, regarding the defining a common set of ABI calls, I think it's just like we need a little bit more time off from the industry to basically like between Rust, Go, C, and C++ basically defining a uniform set of syscalls, like a uniform ABI. And once that's defined, it should be like super easy to interpret in certain ways or like making sure these WebAssembly binaries run. And was, sorry, sorry to interrupt you, but why does it need to be consistent across... Like, you know, I've got, so I want an ABI for my Rust application, for my Rust WebAssembly modules to interact with my system. I want an ABI for my Python applications to interact with my system. But why did those need to be the same thing? Can't, you know, my Rust applications just interact with the system and then Python interacts with the system and, you know, both those are fine. Why does it need to be consistent? Yeah, it just makes things much easier for first, kind of like the the, the persons that are running the runtime and second, like for for whoever is running it. So let's say like for whatever reason, like in each of the browsers, uh, the API they ship for like using JavaScript or for creating an array is different. Just because of the fact that like you want to target one or the other browser, it will be like very painful that like your, the way your code is written, it's only kind of like adaptable for one scenario. So ideally, like it will be all the browsers, the ones, the ones that decide like what is a good API for using or for creating an array, for example, and then like let everyone use like this exact API. So it's possible to create kind of like different ABIs for different, completely different contexts. But in general, if the context is, is the same, I think it's very good for, for the industry to push for, for, for a standard there. Got it. And so is that, is that because on this host machine, like let's say I had a WebAssembly module that's written in Python and a WebAssembly module that's written in Rust, 
And if they were using the same application binary interface, then the underlying system only needs to know how to interpret one of those interfaces. But if it were two interfaces, then my computer would need to know how to interpret both of those interfaces. Yeah, yeah they are completely right. So at the end, that's kind of like a little bit more painful. It's possible. Like at the end, it all kind of like is possible. And if you like want to implement like 20 different ABI kind of like sets, you, you could be able to do it. But ideally, like when the context is the same, I think like we should push for standards. But why is it so important? I mean, I, I can, it's not that difficult to be able to run 20 different languages on my machine. Why is it so important to be able to have a consistent ABI. So basically, like the importance of that is because we can make sure your application runs in places where you have uh, haven't thought of, or maybe like it will come like later on in the line. So let's say like you you create like I don't know an application that is an image viewer that opens an image. Ideally, like where we would like to be is in a place where like this application can be run in the browser. But not just in the browser, it can be run like server side or can be run in a desktop or can be run in a phone application or, or in a phone itself. So ideally, like when we add these kind of like nice abstractions, we can let like your code to be used in places where initially like we haven't like planned on and that might be like super useful to, to be on. Wait, why does the consistency of, of an ABI have anything to do with where this application is going to run? So basically, like, the consistency of the ABI let us kind of, like, target systems where, like, basically, let's let's think of uh, we are creating, like, a custom, like, we define everyone, like, a standard ABI for interoperating from WebAssembly with the host system. If we are able to do it like in a very proper way, we are able basically like all the industry like decides into like what's a good ABI system. Then like once you compile like, your application to WebAssembly, then this application can be run in a runtime that is on the server or it can be run in a runtime that is on the phone without actually having to go to the runtime and implement the ABIs all again. So basically, like I think it offers kind of like advantages regarding consistency and usage. I'm not sure if this clarifies like completely your question. Well, what I'm pushing back against is, is the question of resource consumption. And maybe I don't know about the resource consumption too much, but... If I wanted to run a Rust application and a Python application on my phone, and I needed two different ways of interpreting their respective application binary interfaces, yeah, that's going to take some extra resources, but is it really that much more to run a Python runtime in addition to a Rust run runtime? No, I mean, I will not say it's regarding kind of like more, like what I mean is a little bit ideal if we define like a is more ideal if we define something that everyone agrees on rather than creating custom things for doing the same thing, like custom APIs for doing the same thing. So basically, if uh, the industry can decide into like what's the ideal way of reading files and everyone, like we can define like what's a good way, then we don't need like two different function calls that are doing exactly the same. And it's basically like when the context is, is the same, I think it's good to define a standard. But like, let's say, for example, in the case of we want to like ship or use like WebAssembly in like Internet of Things devices, maybe there are, there is other set of ABI calls that we need to consider. But basically it's because the, the context is completely different. But in the case of the functions or what we expect from doing from a function is the same across uh, platforms, I think like, pushing for a standard is, is, is the obvious approach. 
So if you contrast like an Internet of Things device, like my toaster, if I want to deploy applications to my toaster versus deploying applications to a server, I can certainly see how the quantity of resources would be available would be different in the toaster versus the server sitting in a data center. But would the syscalls be different? Wouldn't the syscalls for like making a file and reading a file and reading an image, wouldn't those basically be the same? Yeah, I mean, probably like in the general case, I will say yes. Uh, I think in some other cases, there might be like some special usages like from my ABI, like basically you might need to diverge. But in general, I think the set of uh, syscalls that you will use in, in, in your binary application should be kind of like consistent and should be in general like the same. So in general, like I'm, I'm pushing forward like towards uh, consistency on the platform, on, on, the, on the industry for, for WebAssembly and how to create that web, uh, ABI in, in WebAssembly or what is the proper ABI for, for WebAssembly. So if the syscalls are consistent across the toaster and the data, the server in a data center, I still don't understand why the consistent ABI across different WebAssembly modules is necessary. Because couldn't they just define, they could each define their own ABI as long as the the syscalls in the respective environments are the same. Oh, like, uh, should, yeah, let me, like, basically, like, a set of uh, the ABI what I'm like, what is a ABI is a set of syscalls. So basically, like, if the uh, syscalls are consistent, then the ABI is going to be consistent. Basically, ABI and syscalls are kind of the same thing. Okay. So, but if every, I mean, most of these underlying systems are Linux or Unix based systems. So w- I'm having trouble understanding why we need the consistent ABI, I guess. Across, like, if I ever, again, if I have a Rust application and a, and a Python application, what I need the consistent ABI for. Okay, like basically like what I mean with consistent ABI is a consistent set of syscalls that we we can all use for opening a file or... So that's for me a consistent ABI, this consistent set of syscalls. I see. And that just doesn't exist today. So like today, a Rust thing that's that's been compiled down into WebAssembly is going to have a different set of syscalls than a C application? Yeah, I mean, if we are doing from Rust, like there will be like no standard there. So basically, we'll have to create our syscalls by hand, kind of. If we are using C or C++ and MScripten, there is a set of syscalls based on POSIX that basically like we will target to. If we are using Go, again, like each module that we are that we are using will will define like their own set of of syscalls so again that's kind of like not ideal so um, the ideal will be kind of like everyone like targeting the same same set of syscalls okay so is this unified abi this is cloud abi so cloud abi is something super interesting so basically like cloud abi what it adds is kind of like a permissions uh, set on top of uh, our ABI calls. So let's say like our, our binary application is trying to open a file in our system. And let's say like for whatever reason, we don't want to allow that or we want to allow that, but we don't want to allow like opening sockets. So what Cloud ABI did is actually like wrapping these ABI calls with a permission system. So basically each time we try to open a file or we're trying to access or to execute a certain syscall, Cloud ABI is making sure like we have permission to do that. And how it knows is we got permission is before executing or at the same time we execute that file, we establish what is the set of uh, permissions that we are going to give. So for example, we establish like, oh, this, fi- this binary application is going to be able 
to open a file or this binary application will eventually be able to open a port. So basically like that's what the cloud ABI is doing. And also other thing that it's doing is kind of like it had a smallest subset of syscalls uh, that we need to implement. In the case of MScripten, I think the total number of syscalls are like in the order of 200, I think, around. And in the case of Cloud ABI, it's just like 49 syscalls that have like a permission mechanism on top of that. So what are you building at Wasmer? So basically like at Wasmer, first, uh, what we are seeing is WebAssembly. We believe like WebAssembly will become incredibly useful in the future. And we believe like we'll go outside of the browser environments. So first, what we are trying to do is bring WebAssembly server side. So basically anyone that like wants to use WebAssembly and don't need a JavaScript runtime, they can do it like super easily. And second, like what we are trying to do is is once we move like WebAssembly to the server side, we are trying to make very easy to interoperate with WebAssembly from other languages. So for example, if you want to use WebAssembly modules inside of Python, you should be able to do it in a very easy way. And if you want to use the same WebAssembly module inside of Go, you should be able to, or basically like almost any other language that you can think. So this is the other thing that like we are kind of like completely focused on. And the other vertical is is basically like creating something that will power the next generation of cloud platform systems. So basically, because of all the things that I explained before, kind of like WebAssembly is ideal for, for running on the edge, because like a startup time is like super good, and we can run like uh, very close to native performance. Basically, like what we are trying to do is create this runtime that will be very useful for these cloud environments. Do you think you'll spin up a cloud provider yourself because as a business model, or do you think you'll sell this technology to cloud providers? What do you think the business model will look like? So um, our business model, it's first kind of like we are more focused on engaging with the community. And basically, like we want to make first kind of like WebAssembly successful and use across like any any scenario or a lot of scenarios. And then like what we are going to do is either like become a virtual cloud provider. That means like we might not care as much about the infrastructure but we might provide a very easy way for you to execute WebAssembly files on the cloud. And that's one of the sites of the business model. This, like the second layer cloud providers, like the Zite or... Yeah, yeah. Uh, completely. Yeah, Zite or uh, Netlify or Spotinst. These second layer cloud providers are so interesting. I, I think this is, this is a trend that snuck up on me that the whole cloud providers built on other cloud providers thing. Yeah, at the end, like what, the, what I think is important is we don't want to focus right now, at least on the short term on infrastructure, because it's very hard to build like a proper infrastructure system where like, I don't know, you have like a lot of servers running and like they are collocated in a lot of different places. So um, right now, like our approach is more uh, regarding like software and make it very easy easy to use and, and, and very easy for the developer to, to ship. And that's kind of like what matters. And the how or like what's happening on the record or how many servers do we have is like not as, is, as important uh, for the developer. Well, Cyrus, I want to thank you for coming on the show and bearing with my insufficient knowledge of this space. I feel like how I felt near the beginning of uh, like when I started covering Kubernetes and when I started covering crypto currency technology, 
I just felt confused the entire time. But eventually, a switch flipped where I felt a little bit more comfortable. But that's about where I feel with uh, with WebAssembly today. The whole tool chain, it feels so foreign to me. I appreciate you you bearing with my confusion. It's been like a super, super interesting talk at the same time. Like one thing that I haven't commented is that might be kind of like interested, interesting to just like say in, sure. in a few yeah. minutes is other use case for WebAssembly is, for example, like for decentralized applications. So a lot of uh, crypto the companies are right now like looking into WebAssembly to execute like a smart contracts in a very efficient way. So actually, like I think it basically the cases of WebAssembly in in the future goes especially like out of the browser to ship in servers as we are doing in Wasmer to ship it like to the centralized applications as crypto are doing or like even becoming the next JVM. Definitely. You know, I think there's also potential for, you know, mobile computing, some unified deployment mechanism. I mean, it's just we're seeing such a desire to unify the mobile development paradigms. Of course, we always have for the last you know 10 or 15 years, however long mobile computing has been a thing. So we'll see about that. But I, I completely agree with your excitement around WebAssembly. There are so many different things that it can accelerate and improve and help the security of, help the isolation of. So thanks for coming on the show, Cyrus. Really great talking. Thank you. I really enjoy your talk. And hopefully, like uh, for people that are looking to WebAssembly, this talk kind of like incites them to, to start trying it. I want to welcome people kind of like to try and, and letting us know like what are the use cases of WebAssembly. And basically, like Wasmer is going to be here for, for hopefully like being able to drive some of this WebAssembly um, love and, and WebAssembly new uh, excitement. And, and hopefully, like we'll have like more people like using Wasmer and using in general like WebAssembly in the future. Awesome. Okay, thanks, Iris. Thank you. Wow.